what's up, it's Denia Azure. Be sure to follow me all over social media at Denia Azure, D-A-N-A-Y-A-A-Z-U-R-E. And like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Denia Designs for you, facebook.com forward slash Denia Azure Radio. And be sure to subscribe to me on YouTube. Just type in Denia Azure. This is Charmel McMillan, and you're now tuned in to Denia Azure Radio. Good afternoon, Sharon, and welcome to Denia Azure Radio. How are you? I am great. How are you? I am phenomenal. I'm super excited to have you on. I first heard about you through my girl, Sabah Chavez. She's been telling me about you for years, so and I've been uh, I've um, watched some of your phenomenal Instagram lives, so it's a pleasure to have you on today. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are can you so hear me very okay? welcome. Yes, ma'am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Awesome, guys. So go ahead and tell everybody you know, who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Sharmel McMillan, and I'm president and CEO of Shartown Entertainment. It's an entertainment and sports management company. I've been in business for 26 years. Um, I've worked with over 300 national comedians, um, as well as uh, multi-platinum producers, music artists in several genres from R&B to gospel, as well as best-selling authors, Omar Tyree, Carl Weber, even, you know, Carl Weber as a movie director um, with his first movie, Man in 3D. I did the national premieres for that, um, as well as professional athletes. I have a major league soccer player signed to me as well as working with the Mayweather family for seven years on private projects. That is so dope. So how in the world did you get started in the entertainment industry? Well, I um, I actually wrote a book called Just One Thing that talks about that very thing about me getting into the entertainment industry, and it talks about how one moment can change your life forever. Um, when I first got out of college, I was a professional engineer, and I guess I'd been a professional engineer for maybe about six months, and I just knew I wasn't where, at the at the place where I should have been um, in life, mm. and it wasn't about money, because I was making close to six figures almost immediately, right. but I just prayed one day. I was designing stuff. I was outside with these uh, Humvees. I worked for the Department of Defense, and I designed um, collapsible fuel and water tanks and underground petroleum terminals for the troops. I was an engineer, engineer. And I stood outside one day in my designer suit and stilettos and asked God, what, what, would you, what should I really be doing? Because I know this is mm. it. And I asked God to do a new thing in my life. And I didn't know what that was, but I was at a crossroad in my life where I was at the point where I was willing to trust God against all odds. Like, anywhere you send me, I'll go. You know, anything you need me to do, just send me. And so yes. um, the book kind of picks up from there. And so long story short, with that, without giving away all of the book either, but with long story short, <laughs> uh, three, three, four months later, I found myself um, going to a comedy club to try to meet with, a top entertainer, and I felt like God had led me to do that. I had no idea that I would be hired in a few days, 
and um, that that sparked the beginning of a 26-year career in entertainment. God just started opening up doors, creating meetings, creating connections. People were gravitating to me. I wasn't approaching anybody, you know, and I just kept praying. I was like, God, you know, if there's somebody you want me to meet, let them walk up to me. There's somebody I'm supposed to know, let them walk up to me. And so the book kind of talks about that journey of how one moment, one chance meeting, one unexpected encounter can change everything suddenly and how life is a series of just one thing. And so I kind of chronicle that journey into the world of entertainment and ultimately sports management. That's definitely what's up. So who was one of the very first performers that you managed? Um, the first person I – well, I'll talk about who I, I work with first, so it kind of sets the mm-hmm. path for what God was about to do. I um, After – within those three months, I met that entertainer. Then somehow God allowed me to meet Colin Powell. He became one of my mentors. Wow. And D.L. Hughley and um, Paul Mooney and um, Bob Johnson at the height of BET. When I met Bob Johnson – he was worth probably about $700 million. And um, I, I got a meeting with Bob Johnson, and it's nothing short of a miracle looking back. Like, I still look back, like, how in the world did that happen? <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> Those four men became like the cornerstone of my career. They planted seeds. They sowed wisdom. And it wasn't like I was trying to get put on. You know, there's so many people in the industry, right. especially in our microwave Instagram sensationalized society who meet you and immediately want to become a superstar. You know, if you know somebody that they need to know, they immediately want you to put them on. You know, they think it's going to happen overnight because their feeling happened overnight. And Mm -hmm. it seemed like everything was happening overnight for me. But when you look back at your body of work, when you look back at all the things you went through, even at a young age, it was preparation for the next phase of your journey. You know, sometimes things look crazy. Sometimes it's horrible, the things we go through in life. But it's just the groundwork for your breakthrough. Most definitely. And Sean McMillan is my guest here on Denia Azure Radio. So what has been one of the main obstacles that you've had to overcome as an African-American woman in the entertainment industry? Well, I wouldn't say there was anything I had to overcome, and I speak on this a lot. I was actually featured in Rolling Out Magazine about that very question. And I say when I speak nationally at colleges and conventions and, you know, things like NAACP convention and uh, Congressional Black Caucus, I've never focused or given energy to I'm a black woman, I'm a black this, I'm a woman. I'm just the best to ever do it, period. And I think it's, it's imperative to focus on being the best that's ever done it. And so I feel like, and this is just my opinion, when people lead with, you know, what they feel is a um, challenge or a handicap, if you will, Uh, well, you know I'm a minority business, you know I'm this, you know I'm that, then you're making an excuse up front. 
And it's just how I was raised. My father always told me, don't make excuses and don't accept any. And so I've always just focused on being the best at what I do. If I can't make it excellent, I'm not going to touch it at all, you know. And so his father told him, he told me, do it well and don't do it at all. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to take on a client if I can't take you to the stratosphere. Yes. I love it. I love it. So what's one thing that you wish you would have known before you entered the entertainment industry? Because you came from engineering. Like, that's a completely different field. It was polar opposite. And I felt overwhelmed at the beginning because I'm like, well, how does this go? <laughs> you know, that's just how I felt. Right. <laughs> because I was like, I, I didn't know what God was doing in my life, but he gave me, like, this epiphany. Like, I'm going to move you into the entertainment industry. And it came like such a clear message. And I was like, I never asked really to do what. I just waited for direction and assignment. And at first I thought, you know, I'm probably going to have a comedy club or I'm going to have this. And that wasn't what was happening. God just kept opening up new doors. He just kept opening up new opportunities. And because I've been through so much, because, what I call the training ground, everything that, you know, you're going through is really training ground for what you're meant to be. I, was, I would say yes to stuff that I wasn't sure how to do or if I was ready, but I knew God wouldn't bring the opportunity if it wasn't meant for me, that my training ground had already prepared me for whatever this opportunity was. You know, so one of my first opportunities, like you asked me, um, after I started working in the uh, – I started working in a comedy club, and a few months later, I got a call from someone at Def Jam, and they were launching a tour, and they asked me to work on that tour. And so um, I ultimately became talent exec on that tour. And then um, I, I became talent exec on another tour, Canadian Miss Tour and some other comedy tours, and that started helping with the auditions for Comic View and um, Deaf Comedy Jam and, you know, all the comedy specials coming out and stuff like that. So people, it was just like um, once God opened up the door, it kind of opened up the floodgate of opportunities. And I felt like God just started sending people my way because I never went to introduce myself to anybody. I never looked for anybody. I never tried to get after my mentors. I never tried to get a meeting with anybody. People were requesting to wow. meet with me suddenly. Mhm. Definitely, definitely. So you've toured all over the world. What has yes. been? I'll give you. Let's see, because you've literally been everywhere. Your top three favorite places and why? Um, I would say Japan. Um, it was on my list of things to do. I don't know if I will use the term bucket list, but it was on my list of places I really wanted to go and experience the culture, the people, the cleanliness, the patience, the kindness is unmatched in Japan. Um, they're so respectful and, um, excellence is a standard, um, not something that you pay or tip for, you know, it's an insult in Japan if you tip your waitress uh, because they see excellence as a standard. 
So bringing your food out, piping hot, you know, being prompt, being attentive, not missing the mark is a standard there. So they're insulted if you tip them. Mm. And even like wow. when I fast food restaurants, my first night, um, they were like, let's just go get something quick. We went to McDonald's. And so if I remember correctly, they gave us a number or something, um, some indication said, wait, wait two minutes or something like that. And they went back and they cooked the food fresh to order. They didn't have heating lamps. So you had to, you know, two, five minutes, whatever it was, we had to wait on the food because they cooked to order. When you order the food, that's when it gets cooked. Wow. And so it comes out piping hot at McDonald's, you know, and so they make whatever it is you need on the spot. So, yeah, I said two minutes, but, it was, you know, probably like five, ten minutes, whatever, how long it took to get your order together, whatever we ordered, that's how long we waited. Because I'm thinking, like, what are we waiting for? And she said they don't have right. eating lamps. They do everything made to order. At McDonald's? At McDonald's. Excellence is a standard in Japan. They don't even have trash cans on the streets because you are responsible for keeping the community and the streets clean. And so people hold their trash and dispose of it at home. It's a whole different way of life. Wow. The patients there. I was at a convenience store and trying to get my yen together, and there was a long line of people. And um, they were behind me, so I was trying to figure out my yen. I only been in Japan for like two days. And so the cashier saw me kind of shaking and scrambling, you know, through my money. And he said, I will wait for you. And so, like, you know, calm down, I will wait for you. And he bowed. And so I'm thinking, but they not. It was like six or seven people behind me. And so I turned and looked, and they all bowed. That's awesome. Like, we are waiting for you. Relax. But when I got back home, awesome. you know, you, you, you're trying to get your stuff on the conveyor belt. You know, people like, excuse me, can you take me first? She's taking, to, you know how people push you out the way in the United States? Yeah. None of that in Japan. None of that. You know, and, um, since you asked me about it, the first night I got back, I flew back into Los Angeles and stayed. I was in uh, Japan for two and a half weeks, flew back to Los Angeles for a couple of weeks, went to a show the night that I flew back. I'm at one of the major comedy clubs. I order a Fiji water, which is about $4, I think, at the comedy club. I gave the woman right. a 20 She never came back. And so the show is over. I go and find her, and I said, um, you forgot to bring me back my change. Oh, you want change? You think I gave you a $16 tip? You know, you know, Girl. I just left Japan. I just left Japan. It was like a culture shock coming back home. <laughs> You're like, wait, where's my money? Wait a minute. <laughs> One place, they, they're insulted if you tip them. Another place, they walk away with $16 on the bottle of water. <laughs> right, you took you took your tip. Hold on, honey. No, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, the messy. on in, I guess, your Undeniah Azure radio. That is insane. Like, I don't even understand where the logic comes in with that. I'm even sorry. if I was going to tip you, I, I'm not now because you just stole my money. <laughs> <laughs> It was the most insane thing. Um, the other place I loved was Italy. I stayed in Italy for almost three weeks. That was amazing. I did almost, I think, 11 cities or something like that, including going to the Swiss Alps and the Bernina Pass. And I mean, it was amazing um, going to Italy and staying. 
Um, and I think my other other favorite vacation would probably be all the cruises. I've probably been on like 15 cruises or more, you know, and so I love having, you know, balcony suites where I can go out on the balcony. On I like at sea days. Most people can't wait to get to the destinations. I love being at sea because that feels close to God to me. Just looking out mm. over the water on a lounge chair and water as far as you can see. I put in my, you know, my earbuds. I just listen to music and I just chill out for the entire day. You know, even late at night, I'll go out on the balcony. It's darkness as far as you can see. I'm just out there listening to music and communing with God. I love cruising. That is definitely what's up. Oh, my goodness. That's fascinating. So those are the top three. I mean, cruising isn't a destination, but I've been all over um, yeah. the uh, Caribbean, and Alaska is, was amazing, and, you know, different places on cruises. So that those are my three top destinations. That's awesome. So you've worked with tons of artists and um, entertainers yeah. as well as sports uh, Sports people. Um, what is who's the one person alive or dead that you wish to work with, or wish you could have worked with? Um, wish to work with. Um, there's. I, I can honestly say that there's nobody I can think of that I would want to work with that I haven't. Now, that's not saying there's. I wouldn't say yes to any opportunities they came, but I've worked with so many people. I mean, some people were iconic, but I wouldn't want to work with them because I understand the nature of the industry and I understand the um, the personality sometimes that can be attached to certain things. So I'm more spiritually mm-hmm. led about who I work with, who I say yes to. So even some of my closest friends, I'd rather be friends than us do business together, you know, so we're exceptionally mm, close. Right, right. And, you, you know what I mean, because I think mixing business with pleasure, mixing business and friendship isn't always a good recipe, you know, because right. I know how I am in business. I demand a certain standard. I'm not going to accept excuses, but often the people you love, you accept, you make exceptions, and I'm not going to make exceptions right. in business. So it's not a good marriage. I agree. I you know, definitely but agree. I would say the people I've loved, I've met that felt amazing to me, and this is probably controversial, <laughs> it would be Bobby Brown, because like, it seems like the list of, you know, proverbial bad boys. Right. To me, Bobby Brown was one of the warmest, kindest people I've ever been around. It was nothing like a miracle when we met the first time. I mean, Corey Holcomb mm-hmm. had invited me to, um, this thing called um, Foxhole Live uh, with, with Jamie Foxx. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I heard about that. The Conga Room. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so it was at the Conga Room in Los Angeles, right? So after the Jamie Foxx Live show, which Corey Hook was on at the time, and he they had this concert series called R&B Live, you know, right there in the same building. So people were coming on stage and everything, and so Corey said, here's an all-access pass. He said, just in case, you know, we lose each other because it was getting really crowded. He said, here's an all-access thing. You should be good. And so he said, that's VIP over there. He said, you know, so chill out. And he said, you know, text me if you need something. And so I said, okay. And so I was sitting over there, and it was just all these acts going on. 
And I was just kind of tired because everybody in L.A. thinks they're super talented, you know. So right. people mm-hmm. were just popping up on stage and stuff. And then Macy Gray came up. I was like, okay, I'll sit here and listen to that for a second. And then she came over to the VIP section, right? And so she was just chilling. It was like only like 20, 30 people in the little VIP section. There was lots of people, you know, in the right. galley, you know, I like to call it. And so um, then somebody else went on stage, and they came over to the VIP section. But I'm over it. And so I grabbed my purse, and this comedian sees me. And she said, no, Shar. She was like, Bobby Brown's about to come out. Don't leave. I was like, oh, wait, that changes everything. Bobby Brown? (laughs) I'm a huge Bobby Brown fan. (laughs) And so um, the music started, and, you know, the excitement reached a high. And out comes Johnny Gill. And I'm like, that ain't Bobby Brown. So, so right. Johnny Gill starts doing songs, and I'm sitting there listening to my last Bye, My, My. I'm like, I'm over this. <laughs> oh, no. And out comes Bobby Brown singing with Johnny Gill on one of his songs, and then he takes over, and now it's the Bobby Brown show, and Johnny Gill exits the stage. I was like, okay. And so Johnny Gill came over. <laughs> no, he didn't come over. <laughs> and, um, and so Bobby Brown, he looks amazing. You know, so I never pay attention to, like, the tabloids and stuff because I see people with my own eyes. I talk to them, with my, mm-hmm. you know, face-to-face and engage with them. So I know where they are. You know, I know when people are using foul photos of a bad night or a bad look and keep using yes. it over and over again. Not saying he hasn't had, you know, challenges in life, but he looked amazing during a period where people were using foul photos. He's dancing. He hadn't really gained any weight yet. He was looking great. You know, he had a little stomach, but he was still moving. He was still right. happy. And this was, like, maybe eight, nine years ago, something like that. And so mm-hmm. um, I was like, well, Lord, let him come over to the VIP nook so I can meet Bobby Brown. But he never did. And so I said, well, God, I said, it must not be your will for me to meet him tonight. I said, so I'm going to leave. And so I text Corey and thanked him for inviting me to Foxhole Live. And um, I was walking. I had gone down this huge escalator, like when I say huge, probably like 100 stairs, like I've never seen an escalator high before to get down to the level where the valet parking was. And so I'm going down Mm -hmm. the escalator, and I get closer, there's a man standing at the bottom. And so as I get closer, I realize it's Johnny Gill, (laughs) and he's standing by himself. And so I said, hey. And so he said, hey, how are you? And so I introduced myself. We stood there talking for a while and chopping it up. We exchanged information. And, you know, I told him what I do professionally. He said, oh, wow. He said, yeah, let's exchange information. And so that's what happened. And so then I asked this guy. I walked around. And I said, where, where do I get my car? He said, go around this way and then make a left. And so I went, was walking through the parking lot, and here comes, Bobby Brown with his bodyguard by himself, you know, in the bodyguard. And so I said, oh, my God, hey. <laughs> so, right. Hey, yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> he came over. And so I said, I'm sorry, I said, I wanted to meet you so bad. I love your music. I said, I love New Edition. I was so upset when you didn't come to the VIP section. I thought it wasn't God's will. He's like, well, I'm here now. He's on Bobby Brown. <laughs> Ah, oh, that's awesome. And so he said, it's so nice to meet you. I said, it's nice to meet you, too. And so we were standing there chopping it up, and he was so cool. I felt like I had known him forever, like I just met a favorite cousin. That's dope. 
I love it. I love it. And Charlotte's known as my. What'd you say? I love it. That's super dope. But that's so fun. It was. It was crazy. So in this souped-up Escalade, here here comes around the corner, and so it's Johnny Gill driving, right? And so um, Bobby Brown says, "Nigga, look what I got." (laughs) (laughs) I love it. He was like, I was with her first. She met me first. <laughs> I love it. He's like, but who's she with now? He put his arm around me. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. I, had so much I love it. Them. I thought like I had known them forever. You know, so That's I ran so into much them fun. several times after that. But, yeah, it was cool. That's super dope. So when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, I want to have touched careers, um, helped dreams come true, and done it well, Help people go beyond where they thought they could, reach higher, dream bigger, achieve more. That makes me happy. That motivates me. That's motivated me through my hundreds and hundreds of clients. Um, I I think writing a book was my biggest accomplishment beyond all the clients I mentioned. Uh, Writing a book um, put, it it, it chronicles, not only chronicles, but it seals your legacy by making it something tangible that will never go away. And that meant something to me. It meant a lot for me, to me, for one of my closest friends of 27 years, Mike Epps to write the foreword for my book, um, to offer to do it for me. And that that meant something. And I started a foundation uh, about seven years ago called uh, CTE Vision Foundation Incorporated. And that really is the legacy I always wanted to create. Um, to it's, it's for exceptionally talented kids who want to go into entertainment and the arts exceptionally talented, disadvantaged kids who don't have the opportunities, the money, the resources to seize the opportunities to learn about the things they want to do in, you know, the industry. Um, So that means a lot to me, working with so many young people. And it touched my heart that, again, two of my closest friends, Mike Epps and Tony Rock, volunteered to work on my national board with me, as well as Bernadette Stanislaw from Good Times, Ernest Thomas, and prior to his death, um, Tommy Ford was also working with me. And so it meant wow. a lot that they believed what I believed and they volunteered to help me. You know, so I was just telling them about it because, you know, we were just catching up, like, what you working on? What you got going? And I said, well, I started my foundation. What are we doing? That was Mike and Tony. Both of them said the same thing. They weren't different times, oh, you know, wow. one month apart. But they were, what are we doing? I was like, you got my rock foundation? And I told Mike, you're on three na- national tours concurrently. You don't have time. What are we doing? You family, what are we doing? <laughs> so that's how it happened. And so I was really grateful that they wanted to be a part of what I believe in you know, and help me in any way they could. And I'm not good with asking my friends, so they would have had to volunteer or ask me what I needed for it to ever happen. I just love being there for them, you know, and making sure they're good. With, you know, all my friends, family, that's just how I am. That is definitely what's up. Man, oh, my goodness. It's so awesome to hear you talk about everyone that you've worked with and to see you 
doing your Instagram live. I saw the one you did with Malik, which was so powerful. And the one you did with Lomel, and oh my God, just almost brought me to tears. Like just the the way that you're that you're able to make your guests feel so comfortable to be able to tell their stories publicly is just there's there's a special gift that comes with that. God has blessed me, and you know I didn't really know. And I when I first started doing the lives. Um, it was one, one part was really keep my sanity during the pandemic. That's when I did a resurgence of my radio show from 11 years ago. I produced and created a radio show called It Is What It Is, uh, The Male Perspective. And it was about how mm-hmm. men think about love, life, relationships. And I had this epiphany. One of my friends who was formerly one of the um, heads of Death Jam uh, that I worked with during my music days because I was a you know former music exec as well, vice president of marketing, and so I worked with him during my music days, and he launched this radio station that would rival, like, Radio 1. I mean, it was beautiful, state-of-the-art equipment, all of that. I pitched a show to him, and so that was the show. And so 11 years later, I decided to reboot the show and um, as a Zoom show so you could see all the entertainers because everybody was coming through when I had did as a radio show. Um, right. I, I rebooted the Zoom so you could see everybody. I've had Raheem Devon, George Wallace, Cisco from Drew Hill, Mike Hill, Real Housewives of Atlanta, um, to hear more, Tony Rock, Ali Sadiq, um, Swink Johnson, I mean, Joe Claire, uh, Red Grant, Alex Thomas, everybody's been coming through. Over 200 men have been on that platform. Malik Youssef um, yes. has been on that mm-hmm. particular platform. And then when once I launched that, I started thinking I need to be have more social media presence because it's the, the pandemic. And so I said, I need to, you know, utilize this time to do that. And so I prayed about it, and God said, do a show based on your book, Just One Thing, The Show. And so my book talks about my life-changing moments and Just One Thing. I launched a show on Instagram that talks about other people's life-changing moments and Just One Thing. And so – I've had so many guests on there, and they are so transparent on both platforms. The men go in uncut. And it's like I yes. sit at the barbershop. That's kind of the feeling of, of it is what it is, how men think. And just one thing, they're so transparent with their stories and their pain. And, yeah, Malik Youssef did my 100th uh, episode. You know, So if people yeah. don't know, seven-time Emmy Award winner, eight-time Grammy Award winner, co-producer of Donda, album, uh, nominated for Album of the Year with Kanye West. Um, he did my 100th episode. He's become a dear friend. Um, we just had so many great stories. The first, last Supreme, uh, Suzay Green, last woman signed to the Supremes at Motown, did, did it. Uh, it's been so many people, so many stories, so mm-hmm. passionate, so uncut. I love it. I feel so blessed that people far and wide feel so comfortable and also unsung heroes, you know, yes. who are seemingly regular lives but doing extraordinary things. In, in their community or been survived extraordinary things. It's, it's been a blessing to highlight people's stories. Most definitely, most definitely. Go ahead and tell everybody, you know, where they can find you, follow you, buy your book, all of that. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Clubhouse, all the same username, at Sharktown ENT, the same tagline for all of it, Sharktown ENT, C-H-A-R-T-O 
W-N is in Nancy, E-N-T, like Chartown Entertainment abbreviated, Chartown E-N-T on all platforms. And my book is available at char-town.com. That is definitely what's up. I truly appreciate you. I know your time is limited, so I always appreciate when people like you can come through and bless us with your phenomenal energy. I can't wait to uh, to to see your next interview. Like I said, the the way that you were able to make people feel so comfortable when you're on there on Instagram Live is just super dope to be able to get to know so many phenomenal people that you worked with. It's been a blessing, and I'm so glad that it translates live. And um, with just one thing, it's different. Like with the men, all the entertainers and celebrities that come on, it is what it is. I know most of them, you know, for the last – Raheem Devon, I've known before he was Raheem Devon. You know, he was in high school when we met. And so um, right. he was at Duke Ellington. Um, but, you know, with the just one thing, a lot of times I'm just meeting the people. You know, I had one of the OJs on. And people couldn't believe we met when I pressed live. That was when we met. And we sat there and talked for two hours, you know. And we really had to, like, end it because it had been two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I love the fact that people feel instantly comfortable, you know, and instantly bond and connect. I felt like I had a new friend, you know. And so it's just been a blessing how open and communicative people are. And I indeed believe that. You know, it is a gift, and it's anointing, another anointing that God has on my life, and I'm so grateful. Yes. We definitely got to have you back on. I got to have you meet the owner of the station, um, Charles Madison, because he's interviewed some incredible icons as well. He's been doing this since 2007, so we've interviewed a lot, a lot of just phenomenal people. Like, he's interviewed Steve Wonder, um, Chivas, Tilly, just so many phenomenal icons. I know y'all would definitely have a incredible time talking to one another <laughs> oh yes i would love to always open for new i i don't ever say uh networks and i i, I teach young people that i don't say networks i say relationships because that means yes. you have a connection deeper than what you need or what they need and i never approach anyone with what i need you know it's always going to be a more of a win for them than it is for me you know, and I think if more people looked at life that way, I think Malik said it best if you were watching, if you can, if you live the life of a servant, you'll never want for anything. So serve, yes. be there for people, extend yourself, you know, and you'll never want for anything. And I just feel like the cup has been, my cup has been perpetually full for 26 years. More relationships than I could ever imagine, more relationships than I could ever imagine, you know, it's just been... It's just been a blessing. More, more con- I guess connections, that's what I want to say, relationships, connections. It's just been an overwhelming blessing when I look back at it and meeting people in the most serendipitous way, you know, unexpectedly. And um, I don't know. It's, it's nothing short of a miracle to me. God had to have his hand a- all over it. I can't explain my 26 years in this industry. And that is why you're one of the best to have ever done it. Period. <laughs> Won't he do it? <laughs> 
Hey, what's up, it's Denia Azure. Be sure to follow me all over social media at Denia Azure, D-A-N-A-Y-A-A-Z-U-R-E. And like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Denia Designs for you, facebook.com forward slash Denia Azure Radio. And be sure to subscribe to me on YouTube. Just type in Denia Azure. Till the end.